0: Where is Moses now? They wonder. Where is this God Moses talks to? They wonder. We are here alone at the foot of this mountain. What do we do? Aaron, ever full of great ideas, says, let's take all our earrings and bracelets the symbols of their slavery let's melt them down and, and and let's make something to stand in for god yes and of course that's a mistake we hear later unless we think too badly of aaron he wasn't necessarily creating little deities to worship he was trying to make a symbol for The children of Israel to gather around upon which God could stand, perhaps. At any rate, he was doing his best to make them feel better, to help ease their anxiety, to help calm their fears because Moses is gone. And they feel like God is up there on the mountain somewhere. But their fear and their impatience led them to worship this golden calf it was really an almost god for them sometimes we fall into the trap of almost we respond to our doubt and our anxiety and our impatience by constructing our our almost gods and we practice an almost faith it helps us to feel better the lily endowment did a study of 3,000 teenagers. And these were teenagers who were Protestant and Catholic and some who were agnostic and atheist and Buddhist and Hindu and Muslim. And across all these different beliefs, across this wide spectrum with these kids, they discovered that there were some strong consistencies in the faith that they held. And in fact, so much so that they, they gave this faith a name and it's going to sound very fancy, moral therapeutic deism. Use that in a conversation today. Everyone will think you're real smart. If you go to a youth work conference, um, and I've been to a few, there's always several seminars where they reference moral therapeutic deism. In fact, youth workers call it MTD. But it has five basic tenets and these five basic Pieces of theology cut across all these traditions. God exists and ordered the world and watches over it. God wants people to be nice and fair and good. That life should be happy and that we should feel good about ourselves. And that God doesn't need to be involved in our lives, of course, unless we need God to resolve a problem or to help us. And lastly, that there is an afterlife where we go and we die and it's, it's a nice one. Kenda Creasy-Dean, who wrote an important book for youth work called Almost Christian, says that the problem with moral therapeutic deism is that it it keeps us from letting our faith be a matter of desire. And she further says it it keeps us from, from letting us have a desire for God and a desire to love others in Christ's name and most importantly from being a church oriented towards bearing god's self-giving love to others that's embodied in a gospel-shaped way of life we ought to pay attention to what what they're saying about about young people because really youth work is the research arm of christianity there's things that that churches are doing today that we were doing in youth work 20 years ago that now have become accepted practice. Now, don't worry. I don't predict in 20 years we'll have a rock band up here. But this work tells us some deep things about the church. And there's good news that comes from this study. We are open-minded and tolerant. I think that our children are reaping some of the benefits of growing up in a society that's pluralistic and that where people are allowed to worship and think as they please, where where we have all sorts of folks who work with us and go to school with us and live with us in our neighborhoods and stand next to us in lines for voting booths. But the pitfall of this is, is that then religious activity is not really seen as something that we need. It, it's, a, it's an extracurricular activity, just like any other. According to a lot of these kids, religion, it, it's, it's a nice thing. But it's not something that, that evokes excitement or passion or desire in our hearts. It's an almost faith, see? And it's on the edges of obedience and the edge of authenticity. And I think we all have a hunch that moral therapeutic deism is probably, well, is a little less than what faith can be or what faith ought to be. And in front of all of you right now, I will repent of my moral therapeutic deism. And you know it's not all terrible. I think it's a starting place. I think it can be an inroad. I think that it's, it's a way that God begins her work in us. It's a, it's a crack in the door of our lives in which the light of God can begin shining forth and transforming us. And who doesn't want our faith at some point to lead to our being good people or to feeling like we're taken care of by our community or we're taken care of by a God who cares for us and feels our pain? Who doesn't want fairness? Who doesn't want the hope of a good afterlife? I mean, it's an honest reaction to the realities that we face in this world, isn't it? Every day, truths that that we held to be foundational in this reality are challenged by what we learn. And quite rightfully, we've had to question reality as we once knew it. But somewhere in the midst of all that, Somewhere in the midst of that, that passion and that, that, that anxiety and that fear, there's a golden calf sometimes that emerges for us that, that's similar to the one that satisfied the children of Israel. It's a God who just makes us feel better. It's a God who, who's around to solve our problems. It's a God who is a divine butler. We become like the wedding guest who who shows up unadorned for the banquet, not prepared for the passion, not prepared to receive the love that God has for us, not prepared for the celebration that is life in Christ. But see, the good news today that we even hear from Moses is that God responds to us with nothing but mercy. Moses has this important conversation with God and and talks God out of destroying the children of Israel. And we get a hint that that God shares Moses' pain for their transgression. The usual narrative would have this this all-encompassing, all-powerful God destroying these people and starting all over again. But now through this conversation with Moses and Moses' plea for mercy, God changes directions. And then humanity is given an opportunity to respond. So if God can change direction in God's soul, then then that means we can. That means that we can look at those parts of our lives where we've constructed these golden calves. Perhaps they're formed out of our addictions to things like success and approval and the material things that we mistake for needs when they really wants. Our addiction to busyness and all the things that we think are important. Sometimes we are a stiff necked and ungrateful people, yet God responds to us with constant invitation and mercy. John Wesley, our brother who, after all, was first one of us, as I used to tell my friends at Candler. He coined this term, almost Christian, that Kenda Creasy-Dean borrowed for her book in a sermon that he preached. And he left us in this sermon with a great set of questions by which we can interrogate our lives, by which we can move ourselves beyond an almost faith into a more authentic faith. And it's quite, it's quite a set of questions. He asks, Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Can you cry out, My God and my all? Do you desire nothing but Him? Are you happy in God? Is He your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And is this commandment written in your heart, that he who loveth God love his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every man, even your enemies, even the enemies of God, as your own soul, as Christ loved you? During our time here on earth, we will wander through deserts. We will stand at the foot of the mountain wondering where God is. We will walk through entire galleries of beautiful golden calves that we have constructed for ourselves. But with God's help, we can answer many of our brother John Wesley's questions in the affirmative with God's help and with God's mercy. Because love's redeeming work has been done in the person of Christ. God not only changed God's mind with Moses, but God intervened in our history by becoming one of us through the person of Christ. God showed us in the person of Christ definitively that God is merciful, that God shares our pain, that God not only tolerates us, but is compassionate for all of us, even the worst of us, that God responds always with mercy and life, and in the end, resurrection. So even when we believe that god may be absent and when we do not know what to do next when we stand before our golden calves and even when we are racked with our doubts we know even when we are almost followers of god and we practice an almost faith we know that we are never almost God's children.